Welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast, brought to you by Barclays. Hello, I'm Dave Farrah and welcome to you wherever you are in the world. It's been a weekend of firsts with Cardiff edging the only ever top flight South Wales derby. You get a sense of what the derby is, you really do. And um, you realise how much it means to your team and to your supporters. But, you know, this was a good one today. Manchester City put a magnificent seven past Norwich at the Etihad. I think today we, full credit to the team, you know, we played together, we took together. And I think uh, this striker was unbelievable, you know, and full credit to the team. Yeah. And a goalkeeper gets his name on the score sheet at the Britannia. Obviously. It was a freak incident, you know, I felt pretty bad for it. The boys, it wasn't that nice thing to happen to a fellow goalkeeper, but, you know, that's what happened on Saturday. It was a pretty cool feeling for myself. We'll be speaking exclusively to Stoke keeper Asmir Begovic about his goal-scoring exploits. Dean Saunders helps us digest a closely fought South Wales derby. Plus, we hear from the under-pressure Chris Hutton and Martin Yoll after comprehensive defeats at the weekend. Hello and welcome to the official Barclays Premier League podcast. I'm Dave Farrah and joining me to discuss all the issues from another entertaining weekend in the English top flight is the former Liverpool Spurs and Manchester City striker Paul Walsh. Hi, Paul. Hi, Dave. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad at all. And, and the league's shaping up, isn't it? Three yeah. points separating seven teams. We've got Arsenal clear at the top at the moment, but three points between second and eighth. Is it going to be the yeah. most competitive title race in years? Well, I hope so. Uh, I mean, there's already a few surprises in there. Arsenal being top's got to be a surprise, really. But you expect them to be in the top four, but maybe not five points clear at the top. All the top Top teams have lost games quite early on. Southampton are a surprise package that are up there at the moment. I still think it will be the six that I expected to be. In what order, I'm not so sure. But that does make it exciting for the neutrals. It has become a little bit predictable in recent seasons, so it's great to have that little shake-up. Yeah, genuinely, genuinely hard to predict. Coming up, we'll be hearing from the top four managers at the moment. Anyway, Arsene Wenger, Jose Mourinho, Brendan Rodgers and Andre Villas-Boas. Plus, with our new international UR football advert, thanking Barclays Premier League fans around the world, we'll be speaking to a member of the Arsenal Supporters Club in Egypt about the optimism surrounding the league leaders in Cairo. But we begin at the Emirates Stadium. Where else? Where Arsenal extended their lead at the top of the table to five points after an impressive 2-0 victory over an informed Liverpool side. And here's the assessment of the Arsenal manager, Arsene Wenger. It was a convincing win against a good team and that's what we wanted. Of all, of course, everybody was expecting how we responded and we did that in a very uh, positive manner. We got a good goal and after that I felt that we had many opportunities to make the difference and after that uh, Ramsey scored a stunning goal but uh, we had chances before and after but what you want was a good focus, great dynamic in the team and overall a very convincing performance. Yeah, it was good, wasn't it, Paul? And only nine goals conceded this season. You never thought you'd say that about Arsenal. No, I didn't and defensively they've been very good but, you know, this was a big test for Arsenal. Even Wenger alluded to it when he said the fact that you know, he needed to beat a big club to really prove that their progress had come as far as it looked like it'd come. Beating Liverpool was certainly gave him a lot of satisfaction and it was too great finishing. I mean, Cazola's header off the post and then great finish. And Ramsey just keeps going, doesn't he? And when you think you've had the brilliance of, of Giroud, addition of Ozil and those type of bonuses this season, defensive solidarity, that's sort of what's made Arsenal's season so far. The big question is, can they keep it going? What do you think? Are they, are they realistic <laughs> contenders at least? I'm not going to ask you who's going to win it, but are they realistic yeah, contenders? Yeah, oh, definitely. They've given themselves a great chance with a start they've had and like I said with a back four playing like it's playing Vermaelen now fit and not surprise of Ramsey but a form of Ramsey you know Riziki as well even having Riziki a fit Riziki I think is a very good player for them and my only worry would be if Giroud got injured I know you've got Oxlade-Chamberlain and certain other players like Podolski to come back they've got a very good squad they possibly do still need a top top striker in case Giroud comes out but the problem is with a top top striker is how do you keep everybody happy then that's the other problem Well as for Liverpool their first defeat in five matches and manager Brendan Rodgers admitted that they were outplayed at the Emirates. 
I thought that the best team won. They had a greater control of the game, but we still had chances in the game. You know, I thought we were threatening a lot of the time, and the game was never over until the last whistle. But no, their mobility and passing was better than ours, and we could have done better with the two goals if you analyse them from a coaching perspective. But as I said, they were probably the better team. There's a weakness when you play that 3-5-2 system, and if a team passes it well enough, you can get exposed on the sides a little bit, and that was something that was concerning me, really. Isn't it in games like this, when it's tight, that you need your much-vaunted top-strike partnership to take the couple of chances they have and maybe get you a 2-2 when you are outplayed? Well, yeah. I mean, they have got brilliance in them, and they're probably, for me, the best partnership that's in the Barclays Premier League. And, you know, you could argue Van Persie, Rooney, but yeah, they didn't really produce on the day. And the problem for me that Brendan Rodgers has got is he's gone three at the back so he can keep two up top and not get outnumbered in midfield with a three. The trade-off there is when no one plays with a centre-forward against you, particularly an out-and-out centre-forward, becomes very difficult. You've got too many players maybe not marking someone. And that's maybe the downside to the shape of that team. But I think that the front two for Liverpool over the season will outweigh that. Yeah, well, we'll see. I mean, I'll ask you the same question about them. They're realistic top four, aren't they? But are they yeah. title contenders for you? If you'd have said to me at the start of the season, I don't think either of them are championship winners. Yeah, Arsenal have been top four however long. And Liverpool are certainly now making progress and could well be in that as well. Well, we can now talk to someone who watched Saturday's match from afar, a member of the Arsenal Egyptian Supporters Club in Cairo, Omar Sharif. Now, another impressive win then against a very good Liverpool side. What do you think of your team's performance? I was really pleased with our performance. Uh, we dominated the game, created a lot of chances. I think we deserve that win. And Merit Saka, Kofi Family Partnership, is one of the best in the league. He managed to keep the SAS quiet for most parts of the game. Yeah, it's interesting how they've developed, isn't it, Mertesacker and Koscielny? There were problems before, but now they look very good. Yeah, they look like they're solid. Also, Arteta deserves the credit also because he was magnificent. I don't think Arteta is playing his best position, but he played that game as if he has always been a defensive midfielder. He managed to win the ball back quickly for Arsenal on numerous occasions. And Omar, where did you watch the match? Um, how many members are there in your supporters club in Cairo? Right now, we're about 5,000, but there are a lot of groups and it's hard to reach them all, but we're doing our best to reach them. There are some problems here in Egypt because of the revolution, the curfew, but there are never enough to stop Egyptian Gunas from supporting their club. I mean, how popular is the Barclays Premier League uh, over in Egypt? It's a, I know it's a huge footballing country, but how popular is the Barclays Premier League? The Premier League is undoubtedly the biggest European league in Egypt. Other than the fact that it's the best league, it has also been very welcoming for Egyptian players throughout the years, such as Nido, Ali, Atokman, Zaki Atwigan, and now all the major investment in Egyptian players, Mohammadi, Fatih, and Geddo. Do you think that your Arsenal squad is strong enough to win the title? Would you like maybe Arsene Wenger to make a big signing in January? I think if you compare us to Chelsea squad or Manchester City squad, then I would have to say no, we don't have the strongest squad. And yes, I think we have to buy another striker in January. Giroud has been magnificent really, but what if he gets injured or if he had a bad spell of form or something? We can't rely on Bentner, if you know what I mean. Yeah, a lot of people would agree with you about that, that is for sure. Um, at the other end of the scale, how pleased were you when you heard that Mesut Ozil had, uh, had signed for Arsenal, that you finally had a, a world star in that team? I was over the moon. I couldn't believe it. I kept staring at the Arsenal website all night long. It was a great feeling. And hopefully we can find more of that quality. Yeah, hopefully. Another huge match for you, of course, this weekend. You dealt with Liverpool, but now you've got Manchester United away at Old Trafford. Are you confident you can get another win there? I would take a draw, but I'm very confident, especially that we have some of our injured players back, like Theo Walker, Terolski, and maybe Flamini, Wilshire and Gibbs. That would be a huge boost. And just finally, Omar, I'm going to be horrible and put you on the spot. In one word, will Arsenal win the title this season? 
I don't want to jinx it, but yeah, we can win the title. If it comes down to a title-winning match uh, at the end of the season, that somehow you 5,000 will be able to communicate and watch it together in Cairo? Hopefully, there will be more than 5,000. We can reach like 10,000 or, or more. But, and yeah, we will meet definitely. Yeah, well, let's hope so. Uh, wish you luck with, with that, Omar, and uh, thank you so much for your time, and good luck for Arsenal as well for the rest of the season. Yeah, thank you. It was an honour. Yeah, great to hear from Omar. It must be quite an atmosphere when they get together in Cairo. Where in the world do you watch your favourite team in the Barclays Premier League? Tweet us at Barclays Footy with a hashtag UOFootball or post them onto the Barclays Football Facebook site. And just, just a word about that. You played for the team with a huge global reach uh, in the sense of Liverpool. Yeah. Were you always aware of how much it meant around the well, world? Well, I don't think you were when you were in England, but when you went abroad and you saw how fanatical they were, you know, in Asia and well, all over the place, really. You know, everywhere we travelled, it was absolutely mayhem and um, it hit you and you thought, blimey, I didn't really realise we were this popular and then you realise what a global game it is and how important the fans are all around the world. I suppose in your day as well it was sort of pre-internet and I'm not suggesting it was the 1960s no, but, right, but right. it must have been uh, it must have been a real eye-opener that when you got off a plane well, or yeah, something. Because you never saw it via the media but so when you got there it was a real surprise you know everyone going crackers and um, I remember us going to Bangkok once and we got there and the chief of police was there holding everyone back with all the police it was unbelievable so yeah great to know they're there. Absolutely uh, and uh, they're a bit more visible than uh, they used to be uh, back in those days as well. Um, earlier on Saturday, Chelsea dropped valuable points in their title quest, going down 2-0 at St. James's Park to a resurgent Newcastle United. What a second-half display that was. He, he was clever, Pardew, wasn't he, Paul? Because he stayed in the game knowing <sighs> that they might create and get a chance, yeah. and they did. He alluded that into a post-match interview, didn't he, that that was the game plan. And if you can set a plan up like that, stay in the game, be hard to beat, not be too expansive in the early part of the game, and then sort of go and try and win it later, which is what he alluded to, it worked perfectly. And they were much more offensive in the second half, and they got their goals, a great delivery from Kabai for the first goal, which got them on their way. And to be fair, very good finish from Remy for the second as well. Yeah, one of those days when everything went right for the manager, he even called Kabai over for a word just before that free kick. And you sort of thought he's going to get an assist for that one as well. We can hear from Alan Pardew now, who was pleased with how his players reacted after last week's derby defeat. I felt we played well at Sunderland. Another day we could have won that game. And if you work hard enough and you keep in the spirit strong, you're going to get your break. We got the break today. We didn't get a break in Man City at all, really, I didn't think. But today we did. And uh, it can make a big difference of course and in the outcome of a game good recovery that you know isn't it Paul I mean they lost to Sunderland and then Man City in the League Cup yeah. but particularly the Sunderland game that's hard to bounce back from that's finished managers before that fixture yeah as you know with the local pride and the rivalry and all the rest of it it's always a massive disappointment for everybody to come on the wrong side of that game but then to have the next result the Man City and then to have Chelsea coming up next you know you're keeping your players focused motivated and confident with a plan to go and try and win the game and um, as we just said he's come out on the right side of it if that's how we planned it then the manager takes all the credit I mean the players have to implement it it's like when Kabai come over and had a little chat. Kabai still got a hit, that fantastic delivery. You know, whatever the manager says to him. And that's exactly what he did. It was one of them perfect balls. It was a nightmare for defenders, nightmare for the goalkeeper and gave the front players a chance to get on the end of it. Well, as for Chelsea, this defeat ended a six-game winning streak in all competitions and manager Jose Mourinho was far from happy with his players. The result is consequence of, uh, of one team that was not there. And when the team is not there, normally lose. So that's my explanation for the result. We deserve to lose. Maybe they don't deserve to win, but for sure we deserve to lose. 
Well, Chelsea's five points from their opening five away matches this season is their worst such return since the 2000-2001 season. Why, why do they struggle away from home? It's difficult to really put your finger on it, but I'm not happy with David Luiz playing at the back. He's just got too many mistakes in him as a, as a central defender. I think he's a talented footballer that should be like at best anchoring the midfield for um, Chelsea. But whether or not that's the right balance when they play away from home, because Chelsea have the mentality that when they go away, they should still beat Newcastle. But too many of their better players just really didn't turn up on the day. Do they almost have two stronger squads sometimes? Do you think he, he knows his best 11 to use that old cliche? Um, possibly not. I think he's even alluded to that. He's not 100% sure because he's got the matter situations going on early in the season. Now he's back in the side and sometimes just having that right balance, keeping the players confident, but you've still got a performance away from home. Chelsea just haven't done that enough so far this season, but that's what's making the league interesting. Yeah, it gets curiouser and curiouser with every weekend. And coming up, we'll be speaking exclusively to the former Wales international, Dean Saunders, about the first ever top flight South Wales derby. You're listening to the official Barclays Premier League podcast with Dave Farrer. To Goodison Park next, where on Sunday two of the league's early pace setters, Everton and Spurs, cancelled each other out in a KG nil-nil draw. We can get the assessments now, both managers, Andre Villas-Boas, but first of all, Roberto Martinez. We found that rhythm in the second half and then the game became a real um, open game with two teams that they wanted to win. And I think that was the pleasing aspect from the outside is that none of the teams were happy with the point, but the teams wanted to put a, a real emphasis on the attacking play and the trying to score that goal, and that was pleasing. Well, we had a very, very good first half. We tried to carry that momentum from the first half into the second half. I think Everton really threw in an effort in the last 30 minutes. I think bearing in mind uh, our good first half, I think we had a better of opportunities. Also on the free kick just went across goal in the second half. I'd say that uh, it's a fair result and for us is a, is a very good point. Well, either side could have gone second with a win, but he says fair result. Do you think draws a fair result? In yeah, that? I think that was probably a fair assessment of it. My concern for Spurs is that I don't think they're creating enough. The thing is, they're quite solid in defence, so maybe they don't have to score that many goals if they're not going to concede. But Tottenham fans are used to seeing a little bit of flamboyant football. They've got some talented players. I'm not sure there's that midfielder who's going to really get in and help. Soldado early in the season was isolated a little bit. They've got players where it's Sigurdsson or Eriksson who's, who's very talented, but sometimes he's, he's rotating that squad round and I think they need that link player, which has to be Eriksson or Sigurdsson, who's going to get the goals or help add to the goals for Tottenham, because I don't know where they're coming from. Extraordinary, you've touched on it, but Spurs are a point above Manchester City, and they've scored 19 goals fewer than City. Yeah, yeah. It is a results business, but yeah. you feel that from the fans, though. You played there, you yeah. know the club. They just want a bit more than that. They want to see entertaining football. They've always demanded that, the fans, and they've got some talented players. So when you look at the talent they've got, I'm not sure the balance is right in terms of that midfield three of who's going to get forward. Paulinho started deep and Dembele started deep Ericsson when he came he made an, an immediate impact and I'm not sure whether he's another man who's trying to find what his best balance is in the side before they really kick on but they need to score a few more goals and people said he was overrated at Wigan a bit Martinez but he doesn't look it now well he had good players and I think the massive signing was Lukaku he's been a phenomenal player for them it gives him a bit of everything in terms of presence height pace power and he's got decent feet and he scores goals well that's going to help any team out well a little later on Sunday a raucous Cardiff City Stadium played host to the first ever top flight meeting between the Welsh rivals Cardiff and Swansea. The game finished 1-0 to the home side with captain Stephen Kulka scoring the all-important winner. We'll hear from the goal scorer in just a second, but first of all, here's a very satisfied local boy, Craig Bellamy. 
I'm just trying to recall like the derbies I played in elsewhere and you know obviously I was from a different city but to play in Manchester derbies Liverpool the Glaswegian old film when you get a sense of what the derby is you really do and um, you realise how much it means to your team and to your supporters but yeah this was a good one today a different experience playing against them today but you know I was uh, always enjoyed my time there but you know and I'm a blue bird and you know I'm thankful to get a win for us and uh, it's even more buzzing to get the goal I'm not sure people realise quite how much that game meant until they saw it on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, the atmosphere was tremendous. It was cagey. No one wanted to lose. Could have gone either way. Swansea had more of the ball for large periods of the game, but couldn't break Cardiff down. And then you get that one moment. I mean, Chico Flores, I think, has been very good for Swansea this season. But he just gets done by Corker. Corker got up a bit earlier, kept him down, got the head in. It was a John Joe Shelby on the post, wasn't it? Or wasn't on the post. Should have been. And it just went in the corner. So uh, that one moment wins them the game. But in a very tight match. Nice moment as well for Corker as a former Swansea player as well to get the goal. To discuss Sunday's cauldron atmosphere in more detail, I'm pleased to say we're joined now by a man who started his career at Swansea and had a very brief spell at Cardiff, the former Wales international Dean Saunders. Thanks for joining us, Dean. Now, it looked like an absolutely incredible atmosphere. I know you were there. Can you put it into words for us? Well, yeah, it was electric and outside the ground was just as good as well, you know, but it's the biggest game probably ever, Welsh football, because it was at the highest level in the biggest league and both teams have been nearly out of business. It's not just like, you know, they've just got into the Premier League. Both teams are nearly, you know, history and for them to both be playing in that, it's great for Welsh football. As a Swansea fan, I was a bit disappointed with the result, but the main thing was it was a good occasion for everyone in Wales. Did it live up to the hype? There was a lot of hype, but it was a tight old game in the end, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, it wasn't as good a game as you would have voted for. It was tactically, I think both teams were trying not to lose, which is sometimes the way it goes in tight derby matches. Nobody wants to walk around town tomorrow morning and can't pick their head up. At least if you draw, you know, the fans, they're not devastated. So the game wasn't as good. I think both managers got it spot on what they tried to do. We knew that Swansea were going to have a lot of the ball. And I know from my past with Wolves and Doncaster last year, we played a lot against Cardiff. They're really good from set plays. And that's how it turned out. You know, Swansea had most of the ball, but Cardiff eventually got the goal that mattered. I know it's disappointing as a Swansea fan, but it's hard not to be pleased for Malky Mackay to a certain extent because it, it's been a tough time for him, hasn't it? And, and it's a welcome result that. Yeah, he's had a tough week, but he's been brilliant over the last two or three years. He's got Cardiff into the Premier League and I don't know what they expect. You know, he's got the ship going, he's got the spirit in the camp and then all of a sudden he's lost his right-hand man who's recruited between them 31 players. But he's used his brains, he's kept quiet, showed a bit of dignity and just carried on with his job and got the result that he needed. So it'd be a blow for Cardiff if they lost him. But as a manager, you need everyone behind you. You need everybody pulling in the right direction. And when you lose, you need everybody behind you as well. So we might not have seen the end of that. Just as a general point, Cardiff in 12th, Swansea in 13th. Would you be confident as a Welshman that both teams will be playing Barclays Premier League football next season? Yeah, I think so. I think Swansea will beat most teams if they play well because they do keep the ball good. They've got some good strikers, Michu and Boney, the two of them are good. Cardiff have got the spirit that they brought up with them from last season. They know how to win. That group of players that Malky's got, if you noticed at the end of the game, they, you know, they run the clock down. Fraser Campbell's come on and got a goal and then run the clock down on his own, getting fouls and... Kim come on and done the same and Good Johnson come on and flip balls down the sides of Swansea's defence. They know how to win. They've done it so many times. So I think they'll be able to collect enough points to actually keep them in the league. You know, you look at Crystal Palace and they've just scraped in. But Cardiff have been in the top of the championship for three years. They know how to do it. Brilliant, Dean. Thank you very much for that. And thank, thanks no for your time as well, mate. Cheers. Yeah,
Well, for Swansea, Paul, the defeat drops them below, as we said, the South Welsh rivals into 13th. Have they just lost a little bit of their fluency, do you think, of their play? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the games they play in are open games. And I think when they're open games and when teams do go and press them high up the pitch and stop them having, because the two centre-half split, their centre midfielder comes and drops, whether it's Britain or whoever it is, comes and drops and looks to start the play. When you go in and sit on him, it's a bit more of a risky game they play. But most of their games are open, but this one wasn't. And uh, they kept knocking at the door, but couldn't create that moment. But no, I think they'll be all right. Yeah, well, we'll see, won't we, with Cardiff and Swansea. Dean seemed pretty confident they're both going to stay up as well. Um, at the Hawthorns on Saturday, West Brom continued their good recent run with a 2-0 victory over bottom of the table Crystal Palace. The Baggies manager, Steve Clark admitted that it was all about the result on Saturday. Difficult conditions, uh, difficult afternoon for both teams, I think. I think we did more than enough to deserve to win the game. And the most important thing today was to get the three points. We'd spoken beforehand about starting quickly and making sure that Palace realised that it could be another long afternoon in the Premier League for them. And thankfully for us, that's the way it turned out. Yeah, Berahino and McCauley with the goals. That was a good, solid, important win for them. Yeah, when, when you're playing Palace at home and, and the position that Palace are in, it, the fans are expecting a win. As a manager, you know you're expecting a win, but you've still got to produce the performance that gets you there. And Palace, for me at the moment, are just a little bit you know, lacking in real quality. And I think West Brom exploited that and were comfortable winners in the end. Well, as for Palace, their seventh defeat in a row. It leaves them rock bottom, six points from safety already at this stage yeah. of the season. Whoever succeeds Keith Millen, Paul, that's almost thankless, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think think that would probably scare a few candidates off the fact that you're going to go in there and you're possibly going to have relegation on your CV straight away. Uh, watching them, I can't see how they're going to dig their way out of it. They haven't got the quality. I thought they did well against Arsenal in the way they set up until Guardiola made a rash challenge and gave the penalty away, but they'd done quite well. But whether or not they can play like that all the time, I'm not sure. Well, coming up, we'll be speaking exclusively to Stoke's goal-scoring hero, Asmir Begovic, and also looking back on Manchester United's emphatic win at Craven Cottage. Yeah, the first 20 minutes we were, were outstanding. It really was. Great goals, great movement for the goals. It's a long way to go. Uh, Manchester United over the years have tended to improve as the season goes on, so let's hope that's the case. We'll discuss that match in more depth shortly, but it's time now for our half-time tweets. Arsenal's win over Liverpool put them five points clear at the top of the table, much to the delight of record signing Mesut Ozil. That was football in Formula One speed, he said. It's wonderful to be a gunner, thanks all. Manchester City put their title challenge back on track with a 7-0 win over Norwich, two goals coming from Sergio Aguero. Another great performance by the team to fight for the top. The goal is dedicated to my son Ben, who came onto the field today. Love you, son. From one impressive result to another, Newcastle's home win against Chelsea saw them move into the top half of the table with Steven Taylor praising his team's fighting spirit. Great performance and team spirit from the lads. Never say die attitude for 95 minutes. Hashtag fist pumps. Everton and Spurs missed out on the chance to go second in the table after a goalless draw at Goodison Park. But it was the right result according to the Everton defender Sylvain Distan. First half Spurs, second half Everton. Nil-nil is a fair result at the end, I think. And another clean sheet in the bank. And the last word goes to Cardiff's Peter Odenwingi, who summed up the feelings of the whole city after their derby win against fierce rival Swansea. Big win today, 10 out of 10 to our fans. Great support, well played to all the boys, and congratulations to Stephen Colker on the goal and the Man of the Match award. Remember, you can keep up to date with everything that's going on in the Barclays Premier League by following at Barclays Footy on Twitter, hashtag YouAreFootball. 
I'm here with Paul Walsh as we continue our look back at all the weekend's top flight action to the Etihad next for, I think, probably the performance of the weekend. Manchester City's 7-0 thumping of Norwich City, their biggest ever win in the Barclays Premier League. It wasn't a bad way to respond to that defeat at Chelsea, was it? No, they played quite well against Chelsea. Individual mistakes cost them a little bit, but this was certainly a way to bounce back and they played well. You know, Silva's back to his best. I like Negredo. I mean, he's just got something basic about him, but he's big, he's strong, he loves heading the ball and he's decent on the ground as well. Aguero's fantastic. They've got good competition up front for places. You know, Toure in midfield is, is phenomenal and it all came right on the day. Everything they hit seemed to go in. It all had a touch of quality about it as well. Well, let's hear from City's manager Manuel Pellegrini who, like you, was singing the praises of his star striker Sergio Aguero. Well, I am absolutely sure that uh, Kun Aguero is, uh, is one of the three or four best players of the world. He must continue working the, the whole game because he will have, uh, with his quality, a lot of options. He's doing, I am very happy for him and for the team. Yeah, he was fantastic. Silver and Nasri, very impressive too. We've got to talk though about the talking point before the game. It's interesting how quickly these things get overshadowed by what happens in the actual game. The seven goals took all the headlines away from Joe Hart. He was dropped for Costel Pantillim on the first league match Paul he's missed since April 2010. Yeah. The right decision? I'm not going to sit on the fence with this. I think you've got to be very careful with a goalkeeper, certainly a top, top goalkeeper. Yes, he has made mistakes. There's no getting away from that. But because the media drive so much in football now, so many people jump on the bandwagon, criticise very early. It almost forces the manager into making that change. I think it's possibly just about the right decision, maybe for him to take a step back and have a breather from it. But, you know, where that leaves him going forward in terms of how well Costel Pantillimon does, we'll have to wait and see because if he starts having a great time, Joe Hart could find himself just sitting there. That's not good for England. No, it'd be terrible for uh, Roy Hodgson. Is there an argument as well that making a statement like that tells everyone else in the side that they're not guaranteed their place? Yeah, I think even the best players need to know that. If you're going to create a top situation, I think the players have got to know that no one's safe. I mean, Aguero at the moment, the way he's playing, he's playing fantastic. He knows he's safe, but he knows he's safe as long as he keeps doing what he's doing. As soon as you take your foot off the gas and your level of performance drops, then anyone's got to be up for a change. I think it's a story that's going to run and run that one. Um, As for Norwich, their third defeat in four drops them into the bottom three. Manager Chris Hewton believes the players he has are good enough to get them out of trouble. The group of lads that we had there, there aren't masses, there ain't significant changes from last season. Uh, We just need to get that mentality back again. That we know we've got, but we've got to draw it out because uh, these lads are going to have to stick together. There'll be some flack after today's game, there normally is, and uh, we have to take it very much on the chin. As I said, we've had a group of supporters that have travelled Manchester midweek and have travelled today, and, uh, and I feel for them hate talking about must-win games and all of that, yeah. but next weekend, with, particularly with an international break to come, which is a time that managers sometimes are moved on, it's West Ham at Carrow Road. It's so crucial for them now. Well, it is. I mean, every time you go and have another week with a loss, you know, the next game becomes more important. And you know, certainly Chris is a realist. He understands the position he's in. He understands everything that goes with it. And he's just got to try and keep his players positive. I mean, I've been in a few relegation battles. It's no good the manager harping on and criticising. He's got to try and tell you what you're good at, not what you can't do, because you've got to try and keep a positive frame of mind and I'm sure that's what he's doing with his players and they've been a little bit here like they were in this position a little bit last season at times but they're good enough to get out of it but can they? Well why isn't it working though? What does need to change? Because he spent a lot of money. I'm going to make this sound very simplistic but sometimes just need a good result a good performance and suddenly it gets you off the confidence levels rise players you know start believing again and sometimes you need a good run of fixtures that helps as well you know depending on who you're playing and that changes your season. Well we'll see West Ham massive game this weekend uh, Norwich at Carrow Road against them uh, to the banks of the River Thames next where three goals in 13 minutes helped Manchester United to a 3-1 win over struggling Fulham at Craven Cottage that's now three league wins out yep. of four for David Moyes' side is that a sign of them starting to 
find their stride? I always expected Manchester United to come through eventually. Whether or not they're good enough to win the title, I don't think so. I think it's going to come from Chelsea or Manchester City from my point of view. But, you know, every time they had a stutter or a loss, you know, fingers were pointing and people were waiting to pounce. And I'm so pleased he's got the results because I really thought he deserved this job for the job he did at Everton. And I want him to do well. So it's good to see him sort of getting in, heading in the right direction. And Rooney and Van Persie once again, key a goal and assist a piece. Uh, Van yeah. Persie, by the way, becoming the highest scoring Dutchman in Barclays Premier League history with 128, but they are so key. We've already talked about yeah. the SAS, but they're key as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, we're starting to see the re-emergence of a couple of partnerships, whereas we've gone through a phase of, for so long of one striker here, there and everywhere. And now we're talking about partnerships again. It's how do you accommodate a partnership within the setup of the overall team. But when you've got your two best players play up front, you've got to somehow get that to work. And that's what Liverpool are doing. And I think that's what Manchester United are doing. Well, Moyes was forced into a triple substitution at halftime due to injuries. And one of those players introduced was the former Fulham defender, Chris Smalling. The first 15, 20 minutes, which the manager said after, was, was some of the best football and we scored some great goals. But then after that, we seemed to not really capitalise on, on our great start. They obviously got into the change room in the second half. They've got nothing to lose and full credit to them, they've come out there. But we, we went into a bit of a not really capitalising on our possession and, and, and defended a bit too much. And there's a lot of teams which are slipping up and we're starting to come onto a little run now. We did well in the midweek in the cup. So we're feeling like we're getting a little bit of momentum now and, and we're going to get stronger and stronger. Well, as for Fulham, this defeat rounded off a miserable week, really, for manager Martin Yarl after previous losses to Southampton in the Barclays Premier League and Championship side Leicester in the League Cup. But the Dutchman's remaining defiant. It's not like a spell of only defeats because over the last uh, three out of five or six, we had three wins, you know. So it's not only misery, you know, but we have to stay together because if you're in the bottom ten, you know, you have to stay together and stick together to, to come up with, uh, with results because you don't want to get in problems. And I think with ten points, Newcastle, for example, was on 11 points today and they managed to beat Chelsea and that is what we need as well, a good result. Well, Shahid Khan's a new owner who didn't appoint Martin Yoll, but he does have a history in American football. Jacksonville Jaguars of not necessarily throwing the baby out with the bathwater and getting rid of coaches. So do you feel that Yoll has a chance of staying? He's got a chance, but at the moment, the results are giving the owner the opportunity to get rid of him if he wants. And normally we get into November and that's when they start pressing the panic button because of the transfer window that's coming up for the new manager to be installed. For me, Berbatov's their biggest problem. He don't know what to do with him. So he's made him captain to see if he can stop throwing his arms about and moaning about everyone. But he ain't doing it for me. OK, well, trouble for Martin Yall. A point in a place below Fulham in 17th. The Stoke, who are held 1-1 at a blustery Britannia by an informed Southampton side. The game, of course, will be remembered for an extraordinary moment within the first 13 seconds when the Stoke goalkeeper, Asmir Begovic, scored from almost 100 yards out. I'm delighted to say we're joined now by the Bosnian number one. Thanks very much indeed for joining us, Asmir. Oh, thank you for having me on. You're welcome. I have, of course, to start with this. Our, our trivia teaser on this programme last week was, can you name the goalkeepers to have scored in the Barclays Premier League? So tell us how it feels to have, have joined that club. Um, obviously, it feels pretty cool. You know, it's uh, something that doesn't happen very often, obviously, and I'm, I'm pretty happy, obviously, to happen to me and, um, on the weekend. And most importantly, help us get a point in the end. And um, obviously, it was a freak incident. You know, I felt pretty bad for Arthur Boris. It wasn't the nicest thing to happen to a fellow goalkeeper, but that's what happened on Saturday. It was a pretty cool feeling for myself. Of course, it was widely noticed in the newspapers that you didn't really celebrate. Is that because of the famous goalkeepers' union? Yeah, in a way, of course. You know, you don't want to make too much out of it. You know, those kind of things do make a goalkeeper look like a bit of a fool at times. And we all know that feeling. So we don't, there's no need to kind of make a bigger deal than it is. And just kind of got on with it. And to be honest, I um, didn't really know what to do with myself uh, anyway. So it worked out for the best anyway. We do have a Twitter question for you from one of our listeners at uh, John B.O. Uh, asks, if you had one word, how did you feel after you scored the goals? If I only gave you one word, was it bemused? 
No, I mean, happy. I, listen, I, no matter what, I've, I felt very happy, no matter what the circumstances are. What my reaction was afterwards was different and was for different reason. but, you know, I was definitely very happy, and it's something um, like that'll be special. I always remember, so it was, it was a cool feeling. Now, back to the game, and we'll, we'll move away from that. The, the tough conditions, of course, probably played a part in the goal, didn't they, but also made it hard for, for both sides. As a goalkeeper, how tough is it to play in windy conditions like that? Yeah, I mean, it's really, really tough, and especially at the Britannia, you know, when um, when it can blow through the corners, it, it makes it very, very difficult. And obviously, we got a bit used to it over the years, and um, we cope with it quite well, but it does kill a game because even now, both teams wanted to play on on the floor, wanted to get the ball down and play some good football on, on Saturday, but Goodison didn't really allow that, you know, because we could never get the ball down. But it was a tough-fought game, you know, both teams battled hard, and I think it was a probably fair result in the end to get a point each. Now, it's early days, uh, Asmir, but you're just above the relegation zone, as, as you don't need reminding from me, with that last league win back in August. Um, what is the general atmosphere around the club? I mean, I'm, I'm presuming there's no panic just yet. We believe what we're trying to do. Obviously, there's still plenty of work to be done. We've put in some pretty good performances over, overall. I think we haven't been able to string together 90-minute performances at a high level, which uh, which has been a bit of a shame to get those three points more often. But you know, there's no panic. I think you know, the league is so tight at the moment as well that if you can get one or two wins in a row, then you jump up quite a few places. So we uh, we know what we're trying to do. We've got good quality in the dressing room as well. And I think uh, as the season goes on, we're going to get stronger and stronger. And next up in the league for you, it's, uh, it's Swansea away. Um, that will be tough, won't it? Because they didn't play particularly well uh, against Cardiff and huge disappointment for them. They'll be looking to bounce back. So they pose a lot of problems, Swansea, don't they? No doubt about it. Obviously, they're a quality side. And like you said, after the disappointing result in the weekend, they'll want to bounce back next week at home in front of their own fans. And, you know, we've got a long trip down there. And, I, and our record hasn't been the best down there. But we, um, we've we been playing pretty well away from home lately. So I think we, if we can um, keep that going, maybe we can get a result there. And we'll definitely give it our best to see what we can try and do. Now, Asmir, we ask all of our guests um, on, on the uh, the Barclays Premier League podcast a spirit of football question. Uh, I'm sure you've, you've seen the hashtag around the grounds. And the question is the same to everybody, which is who would you say has had the biggest influence on your, your football career? The biggest influence probably my my parents, uh, my dad in specific. Uh, obviously, he um, used to be a goalkeeper and him in particular was someone who... Um, who really kind of helped me in my younger years, you know, helped coach me, helped take me to different games and everything else. So definitely my parents. And uh, like I said, they've been a huge influence and uh, something I'm very grateful for. And I believe as well, you've set up a foundation, the Asmir Begovic Foundation. Could you tell us and our listeners a little about that? Yeah, that's right. Um, it's something that we've set up in the last few months and uh, looking to get going now. It's something that I've wanted to do a long time, obviously trying to get back to the local communities and obviously back home in Bosnia. So it's basically got a lot to do with trying to rebuild and build new facilities for kids and obviously adults to use and play sports and get out there and have fun. You know, I don't think um, I think that's something that's lacking around a lot of places and uh, maybe we can help with that, with that going forward. And just finally, you talk about Bosnia. Many congratulations on uh, reaching next summer's World Cup with Bosnia. That's an achievement. It's been a long time coming, hasn't hasn't it? You've been so close so many times. It must have felt amazing when you, you finally got over the line when the whistle went. It was such a great feeling. Obviously, a bit of a sense of relief as well, obviously, because we've we've been so close so many times before, like you say, and uh, it was such a huge achievement. And what it meant to everybody, obviously, within our team and within our country, all the people, it's really hard to explain. And I think hopefully now that the bubble's burst, maybe we can qualify for a few more tournaments going forward. But um, we're all super excited for the World Cup. It should be an amazing, amazing experience. And yourself and Edin Dzeko must be uh, huge stars back in Bosnia. Um, how big, by the way, is the, the Barclays Premier League in Bosnia? Is it is it a big deal there? Yeah, it's a huge deal. It's the most watched league in, in Bosnia and something that people follow very, very closely. All the games are being shown live and it just shows how popular the Premier League is. You know, everyone knows every team, every player and it's great to see. And then that's the only place to be in the Premier League. That's where you want to be playing and it's the biggest showcase around the world. So it's quite nice to see that's a big deal in Bosnia as well.
Thanks so much for joining us, Asmir, and, and very best of luck for the rest of the season. No, thank you very much for having me and take care, guys. Well, as for Southampton, they fought back well to earn a point with their goalkeeper, Artur Boric. There's always uh, a villain when there's a hero. was very disappointed to be beaten by his opposite number in such a way. Just want to say, in the kind of situation, you kind of do too much, to be honest. And uh, Well, I should do, to be honest, because this is my job and uh, I should predict the kind of situations. And uh, that cost us uh, two points. But I'm really sorry for the lads because, you know, they put a lot of effort in, the, in today's game and uh, we totally deserve probably three points. Do you ever play in a game when a goalkeeper scored? No, I can't remember playing in a game where the goalkeeper scored. But, you know, you can tell from the interview there that he's taking responsibility, feels responsible because, I mean, when you see it from behind the goal and Begovic kicks it down the pitch he's actually staring at it for a couple of seconds and all of a sudden he's thinking hold on and it hits the ground and takes a skip and it, oh, it's, it's just one of the embarrassing moments it's a mistake lack of concentration maybe you know not just taking enough care to take a few steps back to make sure that that doesn't happen he just stood there and watched it so it's a poor mistake but he's held his hands up yeah and he made a brilliant second half save as well yeah. it, it took he's the done win- well he's done well this season for Salam and so it's just a one-off mistake and in terms of Stoke where do you see them at the moment I mean they're, they're almost a bit under the radar in terms of struggling aren't they the, the yeah. focus is on Norwich and Fulham at the moment but Stoke can't do in particular. Well, no, they're, they're full from bottom at the moment, so, uh, you know, it's not great for them. Mark, who's gone in there, he's tried to change the style of play and still get results, and they're at the bottom end, so they struggle for goals. They haven't got a goal scorer. Peter Crouch is about the only one who can nick him a goal. Other than that, got a lot of run around centre forwards, people who try hard, but haven't maybe got that bit of guile and something a bit special to score a regular goal for them. Who knows, maybe Berbatov will be available in the, oh. uh, in the transfer window. It's a dramatic <laughs> encounter at the KC Stadium on Saturday as Paul chokes on his cup of tea, with Sunderland reduced to nine men before eventually succumbing only just, though, to Hull by a goal to nil. Uh, what a strange game this was, Paul. Catamol and Dosena both shown red in first-half yeah. injury time. What were your thoughts on those two red cards? Well, when I heard through that Catamol had been sent off, I shook my head because just sometimes I think there's no place in the team for a Catamol anymore because you can't run round, be rash, dive into challenges. You can't do that anymore. So that nullifies him a little bit, that type of player. But when I saw it, I wasn't sure it had to be a sending off. The other one, by the way, that was nearly a leg-breaking challenge and had to go off. Gus Poyet wasn't too happy with the Catamol one, was he? Despite the defeat, he was proud, though, of his team's efforts, having played with nine men for the entire second half. I got no doubt that tactically it was our best 45 minutes so far. It's, you know, outstanding. You cannot be better tactically with nine, 45 minutes, play the way that we play, and have the couple of chances, especially the Adam Johnson one. I'm pleased that the players, you know, I'm very happy that they believe. I think even the fans, they got it. And they were thinking, we're going to need something in here. And in another day, that ball goes in, or Mr. Harper won't, won't save it, and uh, we will be celebrating the point. But, uh, you know, sometimes the outcome is a consequence of what you do on the pitch. And I, I'm very proud of the players that they still there, you know, the nine in the second half. Because that was the extraordinary thing. They so nearly got the 1-1 draw, that great yeah. chance at the end, super saved by Harper. Yeah, no, that's right. And uh, to keep going and keep believing away from home and nearly get a result with nine players is, is a good effort. And it looks like he's got the spirit back in the team. He'll be disappointed with the decision Aon Catamol. I thought it was harsh, like I said. The other one wasn't. And I think what he's alluding to with the Robbie Brady challenge on Johnson is that it was similar to Catamol's in the way that it wasn't a lot of contact, but he dived in a bit. And that's where the referees have a difficult choice sometimes. And as for Hull, they remain unbeaten at home with three wins and two draws they're 10th in the table Steve Bruce is quietly doing a wonderful job yeah he has done a great job so far and I say so far because it can all change very quickly and at the moment he's getting results you know I think the midfields with Livermore and Huddleston has been a key area where he's strengthened up and they've got more quality than they've ever had and I think they'll be alright but anyone from where they are or well, Newcastle downwards I think can get sucked into it the whole fans were listening to this all positive about their season yeah, no, sorry got... boys <laughs> sorry whole fans uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway if you're going to have uh, one bet last weekend you'd probably have gone for a goalless 
draw between West Ham and Aston Villa based on both sides' recent attacking form. And that is exactly what happened. It was pretty predictable, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I was at this game and yeah, it wasn't great. Vyman had a couple of situations where he went through and Jeskalina made a good save. Then there was Ravel Morrison and Vyman had a little tussle, was it, ascending off. Benteke headed one off the bar. He was anonymous, by the way, Benteke, for most of the game. Wasn't sure what that was all about. There was a lack of effort, real determination and drive from him. West Ham were a better team, I thought, but neither side had that bit of quality to nick a goal. It was West Ham's fourth goalless draw of the season, the sixth time in ten league matches they failed to score, but manager Sam Allardyce was pleased with their attacking threat on Saturday. I felt we were going to score, I really did. I think we got a little shaky start, but I thought after ten minutes when we got settled down, I thought they looked in the mood that they're going to get maybe one or two, and certainly had the opportunities to do that, but sadly it didn't work out, so we've got to take the positives about stopping the defeats, getting a point on the board and trying to move on from there, in the hope that eventually the way we're playing home and away, it will convert draws into three points. And they've only scored eight league goals this season, Paul. He's got to address that, hasn't he? Well, I mean, his hope was at the start of the season was he would have Andy Carroll and you'd like to think that if he was playing, they might score a few more goals. But in desperation and no disrespect to Colton Cole, he's had to bring him back into the fold, get him fit and introduce him onto the situation. But they didn't play the centre-forward weekend. Nolan was the furthest forward and that tells you a lot about why they're struggling. You know, decent in the wide position with Jarvis and Downing. They've got lots of crosses in, but not enough people in the box because they haven't got that real focal point up front. And Aston Villa have suffered as well from the same thing, a lack of goals. It's 375 minutes since they've scored. They do have Benteke, but you just felt anonymous at the weekend. And uh, <sighs> is it still maybe suffering the after effects of the injury? What do you reckon? I'm not sure. It might be. Uh, only he really knows. I start to get sceptical and uh, cynical about the transfer window coming up and things like that. and wondering whether you know he's got something planned for January. But I don't know whether that's right. Maybe he just had an off day where he couldn't get going. I don't know. And in terms of teams being sucked in, as you've already spoken about with Hull, do you see danger for either of these teams? Yeah, yeah. Like, like I said, I've already said, Newcastle down, anyone can get sucked in. A run of results go wrong, anything like that at any given time without looking at all the fixtures of all the teams. You've only got a, a real difficult patch at the wrong time. Suddenly, you don't pick up a result for four or five, you're plummeting and suddenly the confidence is down, the pressure's on and uh, it's not a nice ending to the season. But just for fans of the club sort of in the top eight at the moment from the profit of Doom, like Man United <laughs> upwards are OK, are they? They don't need to uh, worry. Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah OK, yeah. That's, that's good to hear. We can have a quick run through this weekend's Barclays Premier League fixtures now. So Saturday we've got Villa against Cardiff, Chelsea West Brom, Crystal Palace Everton, Liverpool Fulham, Southampton Hull and then Norwich against West Ham. And on Sunday, Tottenham Newcastle, of course, more games on Sunday because of the uh, European commitments. Sunderland Man City at 2.05, then Swansea Stoke and Manchester United. Arsenal rounds off the weekend. I'm not sure I should ask you which one stands yeah, out. There's one no, obvious yeah, one, isn't there? No, there is. Yeah, Man U Arsenal will be a great game. be looking forward to watching that. Yeah, that's the big year of the weekend without a doubt. And it'll be a real test of Arsenal away from home of how far they have really come. Spurs Newcastle will be interesting as well, won't it, on Sunday lunchtime? Yeah, you'd expect Spurs to be the favourites, but off the back of a Newcastle with a great result, they'll have better belief and go to White Hart Lane thinking they can maybe cause an upset. And I'm just wondering about the atmosphere at, at White Hart Lane oh, after the comments yeah. of, uh, of Vila. I suppose. Do you think the fans react? We'll only know, of course, on the day, but do they react positively and say he was right? Or is there a bit yeah. of silence and moodiness around there? Well, it might put one or two noses out of joint, the fact that he's said what he's said, but I think the majority might just go, yeah, come on, he's right, we need to get behind the players. You know, rather than the, the fans sitting they're thinking we need to be excited we pay a lot of money to watch this we need to be excited before we're going to cheer you know get into it cheer your team on and try and get them going you know and uh, I think that's what he's alluding to he wants them to get behind his team yeah be passionate but orderly yeah. at the same time yeah. those yeah. things oh, are yeah, possible yeah. in the, Very diplomatic. in the modern world there you go now it's time for <laughs> predictions I know how much you love this in the form of one word yes or no answers we've got four questions for you and of course you can tweet us your weekend predictions as well at Barclays Footy so here we go number one can Crystal Palace halt their run of seven successive league defeats at home against Everton no Will Norwich and Chris Hutton get a much-needed 
with three points against West Ham at Carrow Road. Yes. Can bottom of the table Sunderland keep out free-scoring Manchester City at the Stadium of Light? No. And will Manchester United end Arsenal's 10-game unbeaten run away from home in the Barclays Premier League? Yes. OK, interesting. And don't forget, you can tweet us your weekend predictions as well, at Barclays Footy. Thanks very much indeed to Paul for his company. Before we go, have a try at this week's trivia teaser. At the weekend, Robin van Persie became the highest-scoring Dutch player in Barclays Premier League history when he notched his 128th goal. We want you to tell us the four other Dutch players behind van Persie in those scoring charts. If you think you know the answer, tweet it to at Barclays Footy or post it onto the Barclays Football Facebook page. We'll reveal the answers on the site later in the week. We'll be back next week to analyse all the weekend's top-flight action, including tough-looking home matches for Palace and Sunderland against Everton and Manchester City and the small matters we've been discussing at Manchester United versus Arsenal at Old Trafford. But until then, from Paul Walsh and from me, Dave Farrer, goodbye. You've been listening to the official podcast of the Barclays Premier League, brought to you by Barclays.